how is Hong Kong going to survive without the in imports from all these places? You know, standalone, Hong Kong needs to start producing some of its own food. The most empowering is we actually shared the skill. Our soulmaker said, "If we close down tomorrow, she's not scared because she knows she could be a hawker and sell soap on the street, and she could survive with that." Changemakers highlights passionate people who contributed strong changes to the community. Their stories may inspire you to make a difference or think bigger for our society. In this episode, I'm speaking to Samantha Woods and Paul Fabrega, the co-founders of Time to Grow, to share with us the visionary need of urban farming in Hong Kong. And later in the program, I'll speak to Belle Yip, a local handmade soap maker and the founder of Soap Soap. Samantha and Paul co-founded Time to Grow a few years ago. They met at a networking event about social innovation with other founders. They all share the same vision that is to bring farming back to the city. Time to Grow was founded by a group of individuals. We all met through a network of people who were interested in social entrepreneurship、uh, called Inspiral, and the idea of this network was to bring people together with similar interest in social impact and social entrepreneurship to try and come up with ideas that could lead into developing organizations or businesses that could have a, a positive impact in the society. So through this network, we got all connected. Our co-founder Pat, who is an organic farmer, and she had the she came to the network with this idea of bringing this movement of organic farming. To the heart of the city and making farming more accessible to city dwellers. I'm from Spain. I'm originally from from Barcelona, and I have studied political science and international relations. My objective was always to work in the development field, so that was very much in line already, like with my with my objectives. So I came to Hong Kong because I had an interest. I've always had an interest in Asia, and actually, I'm I have a full time job now with an NGO working on education. But I keep my commitment and my involvement with with Time to Grow as well. It also every Everything came about because we saw a real need in Hong Kong, and we also saw a specific interest in urban farming, in taking you know the farming back to the city and integrating into our into our daily lives. But at the same time, we didn't see there was much going on on that. We saw a massive gap there. Let's say in the market, and an opportunity for us to develop something and, and fill that gap and fill that need. Original team、um, of founders come from very different backgrounds. All, all of us have an interest in in sustainable living and in growing your own vegetables at home. I worked in Beijing for five years before moving back to Hong Kong. My first job in Beijing was working for an environmental NGO that worked with universities and with the Chinese government to promote environmental awareness all across China. Through that program, I actually met some students. Who were growing their own vegetables inside a university in Beijing, and I thought, oh my gosh, if you can grow vegetables in Beijing, like, and people always say, oh, Beijing's so polluted and all that. I was really impressed and inspired by that. I kind of took that with me to my next job, which was working in a responsible travel company, which actually gave me the opportunity to travel all around China to some very remote and rural places, where I also saw this relationship between people and growing food, and how some commercial practices are not very sustainable. So. When I came back to Hong Kong, I was really excited to set up Time to Grow with 
with these guys and, and sort of get more people aware of the environmental impact of farming and, and food production. Time to Grow is passionate to help individuals and corporations to set up and design rooftop farms. It promotes the idea of making use of every precious space to practice farming. We install urban farms in urban spaces. They can be of different scales. So we provide the technical assistance to our clients so that they can transform these spaces into edible landscapes. Our interest mostly is with large organizations, whether it's corporate, whether it's schools, whether it's universities or community organizations, so that we have a larger impact as well. We have set up a rooftop farm in, in, in these two different schools in partnership with Feeding Hong Kong, actually, and another corporate who sponsored these two rooftops. And some of the projects that we have uh, in our, let's say, portfolio include a rooftop farm at the Bank of America Tower. This is a project that we did for Johnson LaSalle, which is a property management firm, and they wanted to set up a rooftop farm in one of their buildings in the middle of the financial district of Hong Kong to be part of their CSR initiatives. So through this rooftop farm, we engage their employees. They help us with maintenance or they help us with harvesting the products that we produce there. We organize cooking demonstrations afterwards with the products that's, that's been harvested. As we are living in a city, we become very distant to farming. Paul shares with us the secrets of growing our own food. Fortunately, I don't have a rooftop. I don't have a terrace. The flat is, you know, 50 square meters, so I don't have a lot of space. But I do have a windowsill that it's... And I've got two kind of big pots in my windowsills and I'm, I'm now growing Italian basil. I don't have much space for anything else. But just just the fact of looking at it, taking care of it on a daily basis, seeing how it grows and just reaping, you know, the benefits of it at the end and harvesting or, you know, doing creative things with it is, is extremely rewarding. And it's something that helps me in, in my day to day, detach myself from everything else, from the stress of work, from the stress of living in the city. And, you know, it connects me with something very basic as planting and sowing a seed, seeing the seed germinate, eventually harvesting. It is very rewarding. Growing food is difficult. You know, it's complex. There's so many variables and factors to bear in mind. Weather, temperature, season, pests, soil. Like there's so many factors that farmers need to consider, need to look at to successfully grow edible stuff. By doing that, we're hoping also to raise awareness on do not waste food because it's not that easy to get this tomato that you've got here in your it was quite a process and so hopefully people will waste less food and will appreciate more farming is not just limited to any open fields in the new territories Samantha strongly believes that farming can be done in all unused spaces, such as rooftops or balconies. Well, one of the biggest challenges was that there was this mindset of people in Hong Kong that there's just no space. You know, urban farming is not a new idea. You know, it's been going on in Brazil, Mexico, US, Europe for for years. But when when we first started, we were talking to people and it was more like, oh, you know, it's a brilliant idea. But Hong Kong is just so densely packed, there's no space. What we would say is, you know, and through our presentations and talks and taking, like setting up these farms and taking people there, we're like, hey, actually, Hong Kong has loads of space. You know, you go up to the top of um, Bank of America Tower and you look down, there are rooftops in central, in the financial district that are empty, you know. So I think one of the things is that we've managed to start to convince people that actually this works in Hong Kong and it's worth doing. It's just really 
exciting the amount of sort of interest that we've generated in urban farming. People's concept of farmers is like, okay, those guys, you know, the old men with the cone hats, you know, bending over in the rice paddies. And then we stand up there and like, hey guys, you know, we're, we're farmers, we're urban farmers. And people just kind of take a step back and they're like, what? No, that doesn't make sense. So, you know, I think I love that side of things. And, and another challenge is that Hong Kong's a very clean place. There was this a bit of a, you know, misconception that, oh, you know, farming is a bit dirty, you know, like dirt, soil, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But when you get people up there and you get people into the workshop learning and, you know, actually doing hands-on practical things, it's just a whole different story. Especially with kids, I find like they have no inhibitions, you know, like there was this one, I think it was the Peak Galleria, and we had these big bags of soil um, ready for, for the participants to, you know, fill up their pots and do all this stuff. You know, one of the families was looking around for their daughter, turned around and this little sort of two or three year old girl has taken her shoes off and she's trying to put her foot into the bag of soil because she wants to feel the soil. It was just really funny to see, you know, um, I think that is just pushing them a little bit, getting them to accept, accept things bit by bit. And I think that even over the space of two years, we've managed to sort of be part of this movement to drive urban farming and yeah, growing vegetables like forward in Hong Kong. Paul worries about the highly industrialized food system in Hong Kong. He believes that urban farming can turn the food system to be more sustainable. Hong Kong, highly unsustainable city, whether it's the sustainability of how the food is produced, how the food is consumed, how the food is recycled, can have a massive impact. We live in a very, you know, highly industrialized food system. It's simply not sustainable. Growing the food closer to where it's consumed and consuming things seasonally, using no pesticides and using uh, organic methods to, to grow the food. So it links with that also with that ambition of turning our food system as a whole much more sustainable for the benefit for the benefit of the planet and for the benefit of our own health as well i think we're a little bit backwards compared to other places in the world especially the us europe and even taiwan and other places where the movement has been very well established but hong kong is i think is catching up very quickly and we've seen this since we started there's you know, new initiatives, new organizations popping up everywhere, right? You know, um, doing similar things um, with different, maybe with different audiences or for different groups of people in different locations, but with a general objective or with the, with a shared sort of vision of growing this movement, growing this space in Hong Kong. Related to that, we've also seen an increase in farmers markets, organic or veg vegetarian restaurants all over the city. So there's a lot of like, in, you know, indicators that are, that are showing us that there's a genuine interest for this kind of initiatives and it's it's happening. It's, it's a trend. Hong Kong is very it's very much like a trend-driven city but we're convinced that this is a trend that is here to stay and the, the, the movement is just growing so we're very happy to be part of that. As Hong Kong heavily relies on imports, Samantha emphasizes that there is a strong need for a city to grow our own food. Hong Kong produces less than 10% of its own food. So food is not as secure as we think it is. You know, a lot of our, like the majority of our fruit, vegetables, meat, all comes from China or from overseas. And so how is Hong Kong going to survive without the in imports from all these places? You know, standalone, Hong Kong 
needs to start producing some of its own food. You know, when you start to look at how food is produced and you start to learn more about that, then you realize, okay, in Hong Kong, if you wanted to produce Hong uh, a tomato in Hong Kong's climate, you should only produce them in the winter because winter is the season to have tomatoes. And okay, maybe even if you're not going to be an urban farmer yourself, if you you know you don't like growing things at home or you don't have the space. It's still important to know that because when you go to the market or when you go buy that food, it's better to buy it when it's in season so that it's fresh and so that there aren't as many pesticides or chemicals used to like create that food. So I think that all the topics of food safety, food security, the quality of the food, the taste of the food, the freshness, all those things combine to sort of show that there is a need for Hong Kong to grow its own vegetables. Hopefully, uh, if you'll pardon the pun, we will keep growing, <laughs> both as a business and also, you know, helping to grow the movement of urban farming in Hong Kong. One of the things that we're really looking to do right now is to find a space and set up permanent or semi-permanent farm for the public. Bella Yip founded So Soap, an eco-conscious handmade soap brand, after she went through a complicated journey. Bella is a mother, and she understands that there are limitations to be both a career and family-oriented woman. She then starts to review and explores the possibility to make soap by herself. Actually,、um, I was thinking, what do I do as a mother、uh, for my living? Yes, so I need time to think about this. So I went to a, a Secondary school to be a clerk, a brainless clerk, so I can take time to think about what do I do and how can I contribute like to the community. But I found out a lot of parents couldn't take the course because they are working for long hours and low-paid jobs. And I was wondering, in the eighties when I was younger, in Hong Kong we still have a lot of stay-at-home jobs for mothers. Although my mom don't、uh, don't. Work from home, but I know my friends or classmates' mom actually work from home by sewing clothing or taking stuff back home to work, and at the same time cooking meals and cooking soup and looking after three kids. That's what we call multitasking. <laughs> and but I found uh, this uh, uh, is not happening now anymore. And I think why why did it happen?、Uh, I found. The whole secondary industry has gone in Hong Kong. We have only left tertiary industry, and I think it has a lot of social cost on Hong Kong、uh, regarding this, because we couldn't see the social cost of, of、um, the kids are not attended well,、uh, and a lot of kids are th-、uh, being、um, raised by Filipino made, yeah, or Indonesian made, which. I, I myself too. I was brought up by maid, and I found I have a very、uh, long distance with my mom and parents. So I wouldn't want to see my kids growing up like that. So I think, what can I do from home? Yes,、uh, and I start reviewing my lifestyle. What do I buy? I found I would only buy organic veggies and、uh, natural soap. I knew I wouldn't be a farmer because all my plants at home are dead because 
I can't water them. So I start to look into、uh, this kind of soap that I buy imported from Australia, and I start looking into soap how how they are made and their history. And I found actually, like in Europe, a few hundred years ago, a lot of women make soap by themselves at home. And I start asking myself, why can't I do it now? Yeah, so I start learning to make soap by myself, and I found it's so easy. <laughs> and、uh, why don't I sell it? There's no one selling quality handmade natural soap in Hong Kong at that time, made in Hong Kong. So I start selling to the organic shops, which I always go to. Yeah, and they're very supportive, and that's how I started my first business. Yeah, in two thousand seven, the brand was called Bella Saboni, and I started with a personal loan. And after thirty months of time, I, I paid off all the loan and was able to survive. And I could buy almost anything I want. I think that's the time for me to expand. So I think、um, it should be expanded to a、um, district-based community project. I was making bread for my living before I make soap. I found bread expires so easily. I want to make something that will not turn bad even in one year. I think the first reason why I was so determined to start a soap making business, because I know this business I would not lose. The worst case is I bought the ingredients for soap making for the rest of my life.、Um, actually, we've been struggled for four years. To、uh, we've started in 2010, and until this year, we are still only meeting the requirements of the commercial practice. Like doing business, which is not our goal actually, but we need the business to survive first before we can do other impact. And finally, we started with structure about one and a half years ago, and by the end of this year, we will be finished completing the restructure. And next year, we will be launching a program to match soap makers within your area. For example, if you live in Kowloon, Kowloon Tong, we will、um, let you know. Where, which is who is your closest soap maker? So you can buy soap directly from her. As soon as we have a platform, we could match a lot of stuff. For example, nowadays people have no time to childcare serve. If people need or play serve, I don't really like the sending kids to play group because that's not really playful for kids. It's instructor play. <laughs> But if you know kids around your area, you can just meet up with families of like age children and let them free play. I think that's what children need in Hong Kong. Bella reviews her future plans to train more soap makers in different local areas to achieve a community-based vision. Actually, I was、um, inspired by、um, Johanna Yunus, the Nobel Prize winner of the microcredit thing in、um, Bangladesh. He actually started the project of making yogurt with Danon, the French food producer, and they actually make yogurt. Um, with community, with villages, by having satellite little factories of making yogurt for the village and employing women from the village to sell yogurt within the village, I was very inspired by this model, and I think、um, I could adopt it into soap. But this model later I found out was collapsed. Because of some technical reason or the management reason, but I didn't know the story. And when I started soap, I only knew the first part of the story. And while I was having the difficulties, someone told me that the story, that story, was actually a fail. Um, I think the most empowering is 
we actually shared the skill, uh, like our soulmate cassette. If we close down tomorrow, she's not scared because she knows she could be a hawker and sell soap on the street and she could survive with that. <laughs> I think that's our most uh, satisfying um, reward of hearing that that's, this is her f- true feeling. She's not scared anymore of losing a job or she's not scared of unemployed because she owned a skill of herself that she can live on it. We could be a brand that serve serving women um, not only on soap making but on other um, the real femininity that we should honor but not only on makeup or on being artificially beautiful, but how to let women express their true radiance by being themselves and doing what they love. Bella believes that soap is a daily necessity and the soap-making skill is a way to empower women, especially for those who are less educated and unemployed. Soap is a necessity that everyone uses, actually. And soap is natural because it's made from lye and oil. Handmade soap uh, is different from the conventional cleaning product in the sense that it has no chemical or synthetic ingredients in it which cannot be decomposed in natural environment. For our handmade soap, it's basically made up of oil and sodium hydroxide. And sodium hydroxide is derived from seawater, so it's 100% natural. And after it's washed by us, it will decompose in 24 hours and it become water again so it would not cause any pollution and also would not affect our skin because our largest organ in our body is skin what we put on it it absorbs actually handmade soap uh, is different from the conventional cleaning product in the sense that it has no chemical or synthetic ingredients in it which cannot be decomposed in natural environment for our handmade soap is basically made up of oil and sodium hydroxide and sodium hydroxide is derived from seawater so it's 100% natural and after it's consumed uh, not not consumed after it's used washed by us it will decompose in 24 hours and it become water again so it would not cause any pollution and also would not affect our skin because our largest organ in our body is skin what we put on it it absorbs so if we put synthetic uh, stuff on the skin, it will absorb and it finally go into our system. If we use natural soap, it doesn't cause any harm on us. In the beginning, we started as a like social enterprise to serve disadvantaged groups or women. We are not an NGO or a charitable organization that have unlimited capacity to help people like that. And Yes, it, we just can't do it. And we found uh, we people who are willing to ch- make change already. For example, if a woman wants to quit her full-time job and do something that's sustainable for the family and sustainable for the earth and sustainable for herself and she wants to be a soap maker, what we could offer is train her, we give her our skill, we share with her our knowledge and we share with her our network and to support her to be a soap maker by herself. I think this is what we are targeting now. And so far, we are so lucky to come across our soap makers. I actually are all capable people. They may lose the job on their 
original position because not not because of themselves. It's because of the outer environment, because of Hong Kong's economical change. Uh, a lot of people actually are capable, but they lost the environment to support them. And we found this vacancy in Hong Kong. So we want to support capable people to start their own career. Bella believes that the competitive economic environment attracts educated women to work full time, and that's why women are forced to give up their traditional family roles. And I think in Hong Kong, the working and living environment for women are not very friendly at all. In the sense that a lot of women need to work for the family, especially middle class women, because they are well educated enough to share the family's burden for a so-called comfortable living or decent living. But actually, they sacrifice the time with children actually a lot. For example, the mom would never have time to go grocery shopping with children. They could never go to market together. Market, I mean, really wet market that not not supermarket <laughs> that they could learn a lot. Yes, I value this time a lot with my kids. I always get off to pick my daughter from school bus at five o'clock. Yes, when she's when she's from primary one to primary three. Yes, I always leave my work before that to pick her up. I think it's very important moment. Even that's the one hour or two hours time. I think Hong Kong women don't have this freedom to live a life like that, especially if if they are well educated enough. Uh, but of course, I think、uh, women could have the conscience to make a conscious choice. Everyone has the choice, but the problem is, do they have the courage to make the choice by themselves? I think this is important. Uh, on the other hand, I see a lot of、uh, like grassroots families. They are quite happy because the women don't have to work. They could be very happy because they have a quite、uh, low living standard. They don't live on a lot of money, and they live on public housing. So their stress of living is less. So they could spare more time on the children. But I believe、um, if the woman is being herself and the woman is. Is living her true herself, the man will be very happy, and family harmony could be achieved if one of them start working on the good cycle, and if the women start, the good cycle will begin. So the the man will be very happy at the end. Bella was inspired to live an organic lifestyle during a sailing journey in Australia when she was young. She spent three years living on a boat, getting closer to the nature. Um, the awareness actually comes from my、um, cruising experience. I think、um, I was li-、uh, living on a sailing catamaran for three years before I started the salt making.、Um, yes, of course, I was quite young at the time, and I was able to be very close to nature, and I know how little we need to live happily. Actually,、um, I think I have break through this already when I went sailing. Long time ago, yes, because of course the sh-、uh, a lot of people, your family and friends,、uh, may have a lot of fear, and they would say, "Oh, um, is that possible?" And they would worry about a lot, if not criticize. <laughs> yes, but I, I'm well trained to ignore them. <laughs> I think I'm honoring myself more important than、uh, fulfilling or comforting their worries or concerns.
if more people would have the time and peace to just listen to their heart, what they want most, they would it would be a difference already. Yes, because I believe everyone would like to do something they love. If contributing their time and energy on something they love, the world would already be a much beautiful place. Thanks to our guests who are the change makers, Samantha Woods and Paul Fabrega, the co-founders of Time to Grow, and Bella Yip, founder of Soul Soap, for sharing their inspiring stories. More change makers next Saturday morning. <laughs>